Hello, my name's David Lee and welcome to Podcasts by Brodies. In this latest episode, we're looking again at how Brodies experts deploy their insights and experiences to answer the deceptively simple question often asked by clients, what do I do if? Today, we're asking a question highly pertinent to running a business. What do I do if I suspect my business has breached competition law? I'm joined by two guests. Charles Livingston is a partner in the Government Regulation and Competition team at Brodie's and head of the competition practice. And Jamie Dunn is a senior associate in the same team who specialises in competition law. Welcome to you both. Charles, to begin with, briefly, what is competition law? Thanks, David. So competition law is the name that we give to a set of rules that have been put in place in, in the UK, in the EU and in most countries around the world that are designed to encourage a, a free market and a competitive economy by making businesses compete with each other to sell their products and services. Um, and it also incentivizes innovation, offering better prices, offering better quality. Uh, and that's largely with uh, the consumer in mind getting a better good or service than they would otherwise. Um, it's generally accepted as a policy matter that competition is necessary for markets to deliver for consumers um, on the basis that markets that are that are cartelized where everybody's colluding with each other or that are monopolized by just one uh, or possibly two uh, very large providers, they tend to be run more for the benefit of the producers than of the consumers. So competition law tries to ensure that uh, companies don't collude with their competitors and don't abuse a dominant market position. Then in terms of how competition law is enforced, so in the UK, the principal enforcement authority is the Competition and Markets Authority, um, the CMA, which we'll be talking about a lot. Um, other authorities in other jurisdictions can sometimes uh, be interested in conduct that happens in the UK if it affects their markets. So conduct in the UK that affects trade within the EU, the European Commission, for example, might be interested in. Um, and also within the UK, there are certain sector regulators um, such as uh, Ofcom and Ofgem um, that have jurisdiction uh, to uh, enforce competition law in respect of the sectors that they regulate. So that's the sort of high-level competition law landscape. Okay, thanks very much, Charles. And Jamie, we're talking here about breaches of competition law. So how can competition law be breached? Yeah, so there's there's quite a few ways um, in which people can, can find themselves breaching competition law. Um, but they really all centre around... A business advantaging itself um, to the detriment of its customers, as, as Charles kind of says. So there's there's really two key limbs to that. Um, the first one is what we call anti-competitive agreements or concerted practices. Um, concerted practices are really just looser arrangements, sort of understandings, gentlemen's agreements type thing. Um, but but anti-competitive agreements or concerted practices that are between competitors are generally against the law um, unless there's some redeeming feature to them. Um, perhaps they enhance economic efficiency or something like that. It's very, very rare that any agreement is going to be falling into that category, um, but it, it is possible to find um, that kind of exemption. 
So to give you an idea of the kind of thing that would um, be an anti-competitive agreement, um, an agreement between competitors to fix their prices, um, to sort of share or split geographical territories or customer groups, um, to rig bids, so decide between themselves who is going to who's going to win um, a particular um, bidding exercise and and um, act accordingly, um, or to restrict their output. So um, your sort of uh, agreement that well, if we if we produce less, then the market price will go up. Type cartel. Um, so an agreement along any of those lines um, is subject to quite severe sanctions or they're really quite severely punished um, and in some cases can even lead to prison for those that um, are responsible for them. Um, moving along a wee bit from that, um, it's a breach of competition law to exchange commercially sensitive information. Um, and the reason for that really is that um, uncertainty about what your competitor is going to do um, is is really sort of what is needed for healthy competition. If you, if you don't know what your competitor is going to do, then you have to assume they're going to do the thing that's going to be most challenging to you and act accordingly. And that benefits consumers. So competition law doesn't like exchanges of information about business plans, that kind of thing. Um, and then agreements between firms that are at different levels of a supply chain can also be anti-competitive. So if a manufacturer requires a retailer um, that's selling their products not to sell them below a certain price, for example, um, then, then that is that would be a breach of competition law as well. The second limb um, is that competition law can be breached where a dominant, what we call a dominant firm, abuses its position. So a firm with so much power in a given market that it can basically do what it likes. It doesn't have to worry about competitors because they're so much smaller than it. Um, and for that kind of business, there are certain things that they're not allowed to do. But we're not going to really go into that um, any further detail today because there's there's only a very small number of businesses that applies to and it's not the kind of thing that tends to come as a surprise and um, so we'll be focusing on that first that first limb for the rest today great thanks very much for that jamie so let's look at some examples here which business sectors are most susceptible to breaches of competition law and can you give us some specific examples yeah sure so Traditionally, there are certain sectors that are more prone to breaching competition law than others. Um, so industries in particular where everybody knows each other um, or where there are only a few players in the market um, or indeed where margins are really thin are, are all sectors that are at particular risk. Um, so one such would be the construction industry. Um, that's been especially susceptible to breaches. And in fact, the, the OECD um, described the construction industry as being prone to endemic collusion, um, which is, is not the, the nicest compliment to have. Um, and the CMA recently, um, there's been a lot of um, activity by the CMA in relation to construction businesses. They recently announced £60 million of fines and three more director disqualifications um, in relation to a bid rigging cartel that involved 10 different construction companies. So it is a, a sort of focus for them. Um, there's been quite a long line of infringements in the construction sector um, and you know, cumulatively millions of pounds in fines, lots of director disqualifications, and even in in some cases, individual criminal liability, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and one recent breach that took place, um, in fact, in, in the rolled lead 
um, sector of construction. Um, also saw a private damages action brought against um, some of the participants. So um, it's important, I think, to note that in addition to that sort of public enforcement of competition law, um, firms that engage in this can also find themselves um, facing private enforcement action by competitors or, or customers um, that lose out. Um, so that that's kind of particularly construction, but other industries that the OECD has has said are, are prone to competition risk um, includes chemicals, um, cement and concrete, food products, um, but there's but there's really no sector that is is immune. This is something that covers everybody. Okay, thanks very much, Jamie. And earlier on, Charles, Jamie talked about severe punishments for breaches of competition law, but I guess that's just part of the potential consequences of a breach. Can you can you take us through those kind of broader consequences, including those potential punishments and penalties? Yeah, so this is the scary part. Um, Jamie's already mentioned a lot of the regulatory punishments that can be imposed. Um, but interestingly, um, in surveys, the, the deterrent that's come out on top when businesses have been asked, you know, what would most concern you about a competition breach? Um, the number one answer was an adverse impact on the company's reputation and brand. You know, if you're in the press as having breached competition law, uh, you, essentially at the expense of your customers, that's really not good for the brand. And it's really not consistent with, you know, the ESG focus that um, so many businesses have at the moment. Um, and obviously, individual reputations of those who are uh, who participate in a breach um, can also be harmed. Um, but beyond that, once you get into those regulatory punishments, so Jamie's mentioned fines. Um, the the fines can be very very heavy so the 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 ceiling on the fine that can be imposed by the competition and markets authority and indeed by the european commission in the eu is 10 percent of worldwide group turnover so competition law doesn't really respect the sort of different corporate entities it looks at these things on a group basis in order to establish what that maximum fine can be um so uh that can be you know a very very big maximum number and fines don't don't well often don't quite get to that maximum but sometimes they do and one of the fines in the construction case that Jamie mentioned um, recently uh, that appears to have been that maximum 10% threshold. Uh, then on the criminal side which Jamie mentioned uh, the the maximum penalty there is up to five years in prison for individuals who participate in one of the more serious cartels uh, and or an unlimited fine. Uh, then directors, company directors can be disqualified for up to 15 years. And it's important to note that 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 the risk of that is highest if the individual director has been involved in the breach, but they don't necessarily have to be. So a director can be disqualified um, even if the, the CMA just thinks that they should have known about the conduct or even that they failed to put in place proper internal compliance processes that would have resulted in the conduct not taking place in the first place. Uh, then Jamie's mentioned court actions, including on a class action basis um, by customers or competitors who suffer a loss because of a competition breach. Um, then uh, at the uh, sort of operational um, coalface uh, of these sorts of things, agreements that are contrary to competition law are void and unenforceable. And there's not, you know, 
one thing uh, as lawyers uh, that we'll definitely tell our clients is that you want your agreements to be enforceable. So sometimes it's better to, you know, not to push the envelope and just to, to stop short of taking that risk um, because there's not much point in, you know, shooting for the moon in terms of putting restrictions on the counterparty if you can't actually enforce those. Um, and then, you know, the final one, even if a business is found uh, not to have committed a competition breach, if it's suspected of one and it's investigated, then you're talking about very significant financial management and reputational costs just from dealing with and being subject to that investigation. So even if no enforcement action is ultimately taken, um, it, it's, a, it's a real headache to deal with these things. So much better to uh, not just comply, but be seen to be taking uh, steps to comply. And how often, Charles, do we see that kind of nuclear button being pushed and somebody actually going to jail uh, as a result of competition breaches? Is that is that quite rare? So it has been rare, um, but and I don't want to get too techy, but the criminal offence as originally drafted was very hard to prove. Um, it was amended uh, a few years ago so that it will be easier to prove and it will depend less on the um, sort of subjective state of mind of the person involved and be much more interested purely in what they did. Um, so uh, the the Competition and Markets Authority has certainly been, it's been doing a lot on the director disqualification front, which shows a focus on trying to get individual minds um, concentrating on competition compliance, not just sort of corporate minds. Um, and they have uh, they have secured some guilty pleas recently um, for individual participants in cartels. Um, I think uh, I think to date we've seen th more more like uh, suspended sentences and and things like that rather than um, jail time. Um, but uh, that's probably because I think the individuals have generally conceded that they were guilty um if somebody was to was to fight that and be found guilty after a trial then you know you might be looking at much more significant penalties okay thanks very much so there are quite broad and potentially pretty devastating consequences um of a breach so jamie how might breaches tend to come to light um, they, they come to light in all sorts of different ways. Um, so, uh, for example, um, a company might be investigating something else, um, an HR issue um, or a complaint between staff and um, realise that, that there has been a competition breach while reviewing internal emails or conversations or that kind of thing. Um, it can come about because staff are receiving competition training um, or they are seeing something on the news and the CMA likes putting things in the news for this reason um, where the training or the news item makes them realise that oh hang on this thing that, that we've been doing for however long perhaps is actually against the law um, so that, that that's quite a common way um, for these things to, to crop up um, and, and, and also from sort of due diligence exercises um, or policy changes that are associated with or follow a change of ownership or corporate leadership. So um, 
business gets taken over by by somebody else and they look at what's been going on and they realize that the business they've just taken over has breached competition law and decide to do something about it so um all of these are are ways in which um even if the people involved um don't necessarily um report it themselves these things can can be uncovered um really the the the, the best way to make sure that there aren't any breaches going on or to flush them out and do something about them if they are um, is, is to put some proactive compliance measures in place and, and really give the business the opportunity to get ahead of the issue. But then obviously if that doesn't work Jamie and a, a business does become aware of a breach what should it do then? Um, well so if a business thinks that there is a potential competition breach um, or or competition issue, then the the key thing really is to seek legal advice as soon as possible. If there has been a breach, um, then the legal advice that a business gets may well be to to blow the whistle on the arrangement um, and tell the Competition and Markets Authority about it um, using what it calls its leniency programme. Um, so really what that is, is that the first participants in any sort of anti-competitive arrangement that blow the whistle on it, that tell the authorities about that arrangement going on, um, have the potential to avoid all fines, um, avoid any penalties for individual employees and directors. You know, th- those individuals get immunity from criminal prosecution, but also from disqualification as directors. So there's if, if you're the first to tell the authorities about these things, a lot of the potential risks that Charles outlined a moment ago can be can be avoided, um, either completely um, or um, c- certainly strongly mitigated against. So the idea of this programme that the CMA runs, this leniency programme, is that it destabilises anti-competitive arrangements. So it might be that you know, if you're in a cosy little club and you're all talking about splitting prices or customers or geographic areas, um, knowing that there's this risk that somebody else in that cosy little club is going to tell the CMA about it so that they can get full immunity from any punishments means that you can't trust anybody else in the group. There's always a, a risk that somebody else is going to go to the authorities. And that destabilizes these groups from working properly because somebody is going to blow the whistle and the question is who does it first? Um, and, and actually most competition investigations um, and fines and, and decisions do now arise from somebody blowing the whistle using that scheme um, and, and, and making a leniency application. So it is, a, it is a, a reason not to trust anybody else in these things, certainly. Right. So that's becoming more common, Jamie. We're seeing more use of the the leniency programme. Yes, it's, it's, it's the way that the CME starts most of its investigations um and and um and the way that a lot of a lot of uh punishments um sort of derive from mm. and those cozy little relationships not quite so cozy afterwards i'm guessing yes well indeed and if i could just come in on on the point about the policy um obviously when a policy is introduced if there's a breach after that policy has been introduced then the policy hasn't worked but in fact uncovering past breaches is a that's an example of the policy working as intended because for all the reasons jamie just outlined you actually want to know if you have previously been involved in a breach so that you can be the person to make the leniency application um, and not uh, end up in a situation where you're on the receiving end of that uh, thank thanks charles and maybe an obvious question in this context but 
what is the role of legal advisors in this process? Yeah, thanks, David. I mean, it may be an obvious question, but uh, there are some aspects of our involvement that won't necessarily be obvious to anybody that's not been through the process. Um, So the most obvious part is that we can advise on whether a breach has actually taken place. So if a client comes to us with a concern, we can look at that and give them a view on whether competition law uh, is a potential problem for them. Um, And if that's not clear, we can carry out an internal investigation uh, where that's necessary to establish the existence of a breach um, or to gather enough evidence to support making a leniency application. Um, and the involvement of external legal advisors um, can be quite important in this scenario um, because uh, in-house legal advisors, communications with them uh, are are subject to privilege under UK laws of privilege, but they're not uh, privileged under a number of other jurisdictions, including under EU law. So um, if uh, anything was ever investigated by the European Commission um, and they could they could uh, somehow get access to communications uh, between an in-house lawyer uh, and the company, um, there couldn't be a claim of privilege in that advice. So engaging external lawyers as soon as possible and indeed not creating a paper trail and phoning uh, either an in-house lawyer or an external lawyer in the first instance is generally a good idea um, so as not to create a potentially unprivileged paper trail before everybody kind of has a grip on what's going on. Um, but if uh, if our advice is that there um, is likely to be a breach, then we can advise on the costs and benefits of making a leniency application, as Jamie outlined. Um, that can't protect against reputational damage or private litigation, but it does protect against all the regulatory uh, matters, fines, prosecutions, etc. Um, but even even in relation to uh, litigation and reputation, leniency will still give some informal protection because it's the it's the parties that get fined who tend to make the headlines. Um, if the decision is to make a leniency application, then we can make that approach to the CMA on a no names basis, so protecting the client um, up to the point where it knows whether leniency is actually going to be available. So what we do is we tell the CMA the market in which the anti-competitive conduct has taken place. The CMA then goes away, checks if they're already investigating something in that market, and if they aren't, they'll come back to say that full immunity is available. And at that point, we have to Uh, disclose the client's name and the conduct for which we're seeking leniency. Uh, If the CMA comes back and says full immunity isn't available, then that essentially means they are in fact already investigating something in the sector and probably the thing that we were getting in touch with them about. Um, In that case, the client can decide whether to just sit tight or to still volunteer information, because even if you're not the first in the door, um, you won't be able to get full immunity, but you might still get up to 50% reduction in fines um, if you offer useful information. Um, And then if, uh, if and when a leniency application is made, we'll manage that process with the CMA answering their questions, providing further information to help the investigation and really just acting as a kind of a buffer um, between the client and and the CMA. Okay, thanks very much, Charles. And obviously no business wants to get into this position where they're having to make these very challenging decisions about whether to actually volunteer the information. So what about prevention? How can businesses actually reduce the risk of breaches of competition law? Yeah, so at the risk of sounding like a broken record between uh, Jamie and me, um, the best way really is to implement a compliance program, so to take proactive steps. And generally, the minimum that you would include in that is a competition policy uh, and staff training. 
um, with particularly intensive training for staff in key risk areas, which tends to be um, you know, places like sales, people who are customer facing, people who know what prices are being charged, that sort of thing. Um, although it can also arise in um, you know, unexpected areas like uh, human resources. Um, the CMAs recently uh, issued guidance on uh, breaching competition law um, in relation to sort of personnel issues, recruitment issues, that sort of thing. Um, but policies and training and that sort of thing, they only really work if they're backed up by clear and regular communications from the senior management of a business emphasizing the importance of compliance. Um, and certainly that's the CMA's message that compliance starts at the top. Um, so the, the point of such a program is to educate staff on the types of conduct that would be a breach um, and provide guidance and, and mitigation measures to hopefully avoid um, certainly deliberate breaches, but even inadvertently engaging in that sort of conduct. Because um, without training, companies face the what we sometimes call the sort of ignorance risk. So staff may breach competition law simply because they're not aware either of what competition law is or that what they're doing is a breach of competition law. Um, so you can get uh, staff engaging in prohibited behavior without realizing it. And things like exchanging commercially sensitive information can fall into that category. So generally, we would produce a, a policy that will give details um, of those issues and also set out what to do, who to contact, et cetera, if, if a, an employee is concerned that there's been a potential breach. Um, and the other value of the policy is that it puts staff on notice of the consequences for them of being involved in a competition law breach or of not reporting relevant information. And that then means that the company has you know, disciplinary options available to it if somebody does engage in a breach. Um, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to sack somebody straight away because you might need their cooperation uh, for the purposes of a leniency application. Um, but having that uh, disciplinary option kind of then gives you the leverage to ensure their cooperation. Um, but the sorts of mitigation measures that would be covered in in uh, a, a compliance policy and in training, there are things like don't enter into an agreement with competitors about price, about sharing customers or territories, about limiting production, or about any bids. Um, don't exchange or discuss commercially sensitive information. So basically anything from which a competitor could get information about your own uh, market strategy. Um, or vice versa. Um, get legal advice before entering into agreements with competitors unless they're sort of ordinary arm's length standard term agreements. So joint ventures, R&D agreements, things that would be called partnerships or collaborations. Um, and also getting legal advice on things like distribution agreements if they're going to include things like price controls or exclusivity terms. Um, and then the overarching message for, for all of it, whether it's part of a policy or just freestanding to clients, if you think you might have breached competition law, get legal advice as soon as possible, because for all the reasons we've discussed around leniency, time is very much of the essence. Thanks very much, Charles. And thank you to Jamie, too, for your tremendous insights today in what is quite a complex area of the law. You've been listening to podcasts by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about issues and developments having an impact on the legal sector and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals across the economy and wider society. And if you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all your favourite podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com.